as someone who has spent more than a decade shit posting on the internet, I'm acutely aware of like your digital trace, which is why I really should be deleting my Twitter. However, um, if I am if I'm gonna be like representing myself in like a long podcast, maybe better to try to be professional. But it's a new thing I'm trying to do, the professionalism thing. Like you've met me, I'm not the most professional person. EYP's given me any skills. It's whenever I go on holiday with like my friends or my family, I will be organizing it. I've decided what we're visiting. I've decided the schedule. You have these food options I have to choose between. I'm controlling this. Enjoy your vacation. Um, that, that was me thinking that EYP was all about collaboration, cooperation, making sure everyone can input their ideas. But apparently, you know, each has their own spin on the organization. No. My spin is making sure that we get to all three of these museums today. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess if I was was to travel with my family, which I haven't done in years, it, it would be more of a like, yeah, EYP is kind of a collaborative space, but it's like you do that when the people are competent. And if they're not, you kind of take over and just do their work as well. <laughs> <laughs> That does not sound judgy whatsoever, you know, if this nope. person is actually competent, maybe. I mean, am I wrong? True. <laughs> Harsh, but truthful. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a learning experience for everybody. I'm not saying that that's necessarily some, like a bad part of our organization. It's just like when someone doesn't really know what they're doing, we're here to help them. And, and there's something like with Joe, I, I feel like we talked about quite a long time ago when we were saying about how how when we started going to like university or something like that after UIP we almost kind of had like a heads up on so many people of how to like manage so many things at the same time how to really get to know so many people around you and then do so many events and I know maybe even go to so many parties and then still manage to be okay for the lectures and they cram so much knowledge in working your seminars do your exams and kind of like almost working at a slightly different pace like 100 percent. i feel like doing group work with ey peers is probably anyone's dream in college because they're some of the most like organized and reliable people i still recall one time when i was in a group project and i said okay guys let's open like a google doc so that we can get all of our ideas together First of all, people were mind blown, which is <laughs> wild because this is like the most default thing you can do in UIP. And then second of all, someone made that document. It wasn't a Google Doc. It was one of those online Word things. And it was just so confusing. Oh, well, what, the kind that you can't do online collaboration, but you just have like versions. No, so it's you like create a collab version and you upload. It's like a collaborative Word. It's like Google Docs, but Word. Oh, okay. uh, like a Microsoft Word online. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah, I guess a lot of universities, at least in Finland, use that. She was Finnish. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> there you go. But I, I love how all three of our faces kind of turn to this almost disgust mode as soon as the word Microsoft was mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like Google is any less evil than Microsoft. Google might just be more evil than Microsoft. I feel like it's hard to quantify. <laughs> Corporate evilness. <laughs> how to how to create this? Well, there are literally companies who do that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, like on on all on all different levels. Like, like right now, you have um a huge push at the moment, which is the ECG. 
no, was it environmental something governance? But but then like you have you have all, all these different like standards that are trying to be more unified, and so many different companies that all they do is audit other companies and try to rank them or find some kind of scale to say, okay, how is this one doing compared to this one when it comes to respecting anti-slavery laws, when it comes to like, I know, so many different aspects. Like I saw one the other day that was even creating some, putting something together to be able to compare different countries to understand how they are impacting the Ukraine-Russian war and to try to see, okay, well, are they doing sanctions? Are they aiding military? Are they doing these different political things? Are they, et cetera, and kind of ranking all those different things to try to create some kind of cohesive grade to then rank the different countries and i think estonia was actually on the top hmm. strongly suggests apple to stop using child labor <laughs> <laughs> yeah now, now we just now, the next thing we need is this just for everyone you know not just corporations <laughs> Rate your friend. Isn't that like the the system that they wanted to put in in China with the social ranking? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not just what they wanted; it's what they have. Like it's a thing. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, to be fair, there is that level of scrutiny in EYP as well, but it doesn't have like consequences that are as tight. But there's definitely once you mess up properly, people will know. And sometimes it's a self-regulating system. And I feel like with a lot of people, the word didn't get across and they're still around doing things which they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, g- gossip travels faster than evaluations in EYP. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Like the, the way session selections happen, it is nepotism first <laughs> and then merit afterwards in so many cases. And so it is all about who you know and what stories they know about you and yeah if you mess up or if somebody perceives you to mess up or says that you messed up then it's actually kind of difficult to get into many sessions afterwards i mean i always try to you know whenever people message me being like what do you think about this person you know we've worked with them would you recommend them i always try to be like more optimistic i try to say oh maybe it was like context dependent that they maybe didn't do that well or this is like what they struggled with do you think that you could support this in a team of yours and then kind of like try to leave that decision up to someone else but i try to paint like a realistic view of things in a way i don't know i feel like it i have like a very high threshold for bullshit in a sense like you have to you have to do really badly for me to really to really advise someone against taking you in for a session yeah that's true i'm a strong believer of positive intent which is the idea that everybody is always trying to do their best and they always have the best intentions and having the best intentions doesn't always create the best outcomes and things get misunderstood and conflicts arrive like this and then people get really attached to certain emotions and that and then things can go overboard and people walk away with really bad perspectives of each other and stuff like this so yeah we live in an organization where that happens on a daily basis (laughs) so i guess that that is a good approach is to kind of going with that optimistic mind frame of being like okay anything that anyone did is always context specific if they did really well well that was context specific as well maybe they had the right people around them maybe they were given the right training the right support they had the right committee things just fell in their hands that is also context specific just like when something goes really really wrong and you walk away saying that they did a really bad job well that's probably context specific as well and as a leader probably kind of on you as well 
<laughs> and oftentimes it's also things that you can't control as someone who's doing a session whether it's uh, you know things that happen to them to your participants personally like in their outside lives or it could be cultural context someone might just feel uncomfortable with the style of communication or the style of like interaction in a certain place i remember an episode where you guys were talking about uip ukraine and the fact that you were feeling much more comfortable with like their values than other national committees right yeah 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 that's that's very true that's very true and like to go into that on a personal level i i really feel like i i fit in with the communication style with the i know life perspective style of the committees in let's say in albania in armenia in azerbaijan in ukraine actually anywhere in, in the balkans as well really and like like th these kind of areas i really really kind of fit in with that and those cultures align with what i what i enjoy and what resonates with me whereas many other places i go to not necessarily yes i really love the people yes those things but when there's things that are too structured around me or there are certain cultural elements in which we need to work within certain more strict structures i start to break down and i guess then people have a more negative perspective of me in those areas when it's just more the friction between me and that environment well, one thing i try to focus around this as a leader is that i tackle it during the session like i've had so many bad experiences around having either bad evaluations or bad word word of mouth going around about me that i really took it as like okay how would i prevent this as a leader and i took it as a if something happens during the session i'm gonna talk to the person about it like that's the first thing i approach it with instead of talking shit about someone behind their back after the session i'm gonna go to the person and say okay this happened can we talk about it we perceived it this way what happened happened in your view and how can we kind of proceed with this throughout the rest of the event and then that gives me more of a okay so how, how did this person react to this kind of things being brought up and it's a very different thing of someone doing bad and you're just looking at it and thinking that they're doing bad or talking to them about them doing quote unquote bad and how they bounce from that situation onwards and then you can really say okay well this is what this was about if someone asked you about their your, your opinion about someone you've worked with you know how they're gonna react to negative situations and you know, work with that thing and that's a very mature i feel like way of confronting things that a lot of people in the real world are not used to i think because we're so programmed to be like emotionally intelligent through EYP, whenever you'll have these like intense situations with other people, they'll be almost like shocked that you want to go that deep or that like maybe you're not even you haven't known each other for that long. And it's like you're really like asking these tough questions of me. Sometimes it's also hard because they, they don't we come with our own set of expectations on how people would respond to our intense questions and they don't know how to conform to that because they haven't been in that context. So I feel like in that sense, the education that we get from UIP makes us come across as more intense. But also I think it definitely gives us a leg up in, in life and in a professional environment and all of these things. We definitely have like the tools that other people spend years kind of figuring out themselves. But we have a peer system that helps us figure these things out within months. And we take them on for ourselves. And especially if you go to, I don't know, a few sessions that year, you keep repeating and like solidifying that skill and it becomes second nature to you in a way. And I guess that there's also another layer to that, which is there's our expectations when we go into the these EYP sessions and when we work within these structures and these different cultures and all this bit. But there's also, let's say if we go in as a chairperson, well, we suddenly have a whole committee full of delegates 
each of them coming in with their own expectations, their own cultures, especially if you're going into like say, an IS or an IF or something like that, where each delegate is from a different, has a different nationality, different cultural heritage, and they all bring that together. And then they start to discuss value loaded topics together and you have to be the person to facilitate that intercultural exchange and you're dealing with yours but then you also have to deal with theirs at the same time yeah i think we had one of the worst examples of this happen in hamburg where things really i would say like imploded in the worst way possible not in my own committee but in ga because we had a topic on like historical remembrance and stuff like that and one of the Turkish delegates in that committee got up and denied the Armenian genocide the entire room basically like collapsed in a second it was so intense one of my one of my delegates bless her heart she just like turned to me she was she's Armenian she turned to me crying it was that was really really tough to get through as like a moment but I feel like it made a lot of people stronger but it also disillusioned a lot of people especially the delegates, because they got used to an environment that was kind of like safe and that discussed things in a certain way. And then that all crashed in a second. Um, like how, how on earth did your team deal with that? I think everyone tried to like deal with their delegates as like at a low, as at as low a level as possible. So whoever had like Armenian delegates would like, we let them like get out of the room. As far as I remember, tried to really like talk to them and stuff but of course as GAs always are we were a bit late so we tried to like deal with that at the same time there was a whatsapp group chat that a lot of the delegates were in that also needed a bit of managing I don't think they were too happy when they realized that we were in there as well but there may have been an announcement from the board but I can't remember but I, knowing the board, there probably was. That's a, that's a perfect example of those kind of clashes. Yeah. And it's not like it's just something this horrible happens. It's also that we're in an EYP session and we don't have the time and resources to, to really go through that in most cases. Like it's a busy GA day and you're already behind schedule and the venue's throwing you out. Like in, in so many instances of something, kind of this cultural thing happens, it, well, it takes a toll on you as a official in that session to try and process that and try and fa find a way to deal with that with all the participants that are affected by it but you're also put in this really strict restraints that it might not even be possible for you to really well handle that in that situation you might need to do it afterwards and i don't know i had a real case where i was i was first presiding a session somewhere east and there was a kind of a one of the chairpersons was acting really strangely around this one specific value aspect and it took me so long to kind of figure out a way of how do I approach this when it's like a cultural thing for their their culture is more natural and more socially accepted to have this kind of value clash with what the European minds or at least the Nordic mindset would be and it took me multiple days to kind of go through it like how do I talk about this with this person without being angry about it? and if that happens during the GA like you might not have the tools to do with that especially because a lot of the times when it comes to these clashes they do pertain to like fundamental values that people have and I know that like EYP is supposed to be like non-aligned. Personally, for myself, I don't 
take responsibility for that. I will bring whatever politics I want and the national committees let me bring into this. I think in my personal perception, I do think most things are political to some degree and that people need to be aware of that. You can't just take things by default. I see a lot of people saying, oh, I feel European. I don't know if I believe necessarily in that concept of feeling European. It's like, no, you're just like French. And then they took your values from France and put them all over the place. And of course, you see familiar things happening elsewhere because they got them from France. That that means the rest of Europe is more like you, not that you're like most of Europe. <laughs> yeah. Which I know is very controversial to say in a space where a lot of people say that they feel European, but I do think that we need to acknowledge the different levels of our identity that are at play here. And of course, EYB does facilitate that. It really, like, you get this, like, intercultural understanding and you might connect with a culture that you didn't think you would. And it changes how you see Europe, how you see your place in Europe and all of these things. But I don't think that we should shy away from discussing real political things, especially because a lot of the times the European Union itself has very strong views on it. We always try to go like, oh, like, I wouldn't I don't know if I would put like in your TO that this would be that strong. And then I'd be like, this is the European commissioner for this. This is exactly what they said. We're taking the EU's position. It's not that intense. <laughs> and I, I really like that example of what you gave there about like with France and spreading those values and recognizing it there. And I guess that also adds another layer of privilege on like other discussions that we've been having about stuff in UIP before, where let's say me in the UK coming from like that coming from from that layer of pr privilege of you know the privilege of of being native and like so many other elements of privilege coming in there but then maybe there's one there on a cultural level that i don't pay enough attention to of just like you said when certain countries have colonized so much not not just throughout the world but also throughout europe and pushed their values on other places through force through rape and murder and genocide etc then afterwards when we kind of look at those places and we're like oh yeah i can actually feel a similar vibe here i can actually my values align to here then yeah that is actually coming from a place of privilege in which wouldn't necessarily be vice versa people coming from other communities other minority communities into other places feel that sense of alienation and won't let's say have access to that same same way of connecting as us yeah exactly well, that's a that's a really yeah. I, I I've never I haven't thought about like European core values or something like that from that perspective before. I mean, not to say that they're incompatible with like Eastern Europe or Southern Europe or something like that, but there hasn't been a level of like conceptual negotiation that has happened. I guess that happened for a lot of countries in Western Europe. You know, when they created the European Community when they decided to expand it, when they decided to put in all these extra things. But everyone else just kind of hopped on at the last minute and said, okay, we'll just take all these on board. and haven't had the time to adjust, to let this become like a generationally solidified um, kind of like aspect of their everyday life. I think one important aspect here is also the kind of generational value gap. Like if you look at Brexit voting, for example, it's a very big difference how the older generations vote, voted on it versus the younger generations. And that if we adjust to the to the European value system, there's a really interesting question of like a chicken and an egg thing, like which leads to what? Like is the younger generation just less conservative in general, or are they just more exposed to these cultural aspects from the 
whatever European community that was adopted. I mean, such such is youth. Youth is always, you know, radical. Youth is always in charge of the revolutions and all that. But then it always solidifies. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to think of it as like regressing into a point of conservatism, but rather than the, that the values that you fight for as like a young person then become solidified. You're happy because that's what you wanted for society and it becomes the norm. But of course, younger people come in and challenge that. And then you're upset at them because they're trying to challenge what you built. And I think we we see that in EYP quite a lot as well with people wanting to change like this and that. You're like, oh my God, I fought so hard to make, I don't know, a certain module into a thing or a certain method of tearing. And then someone else comes along and says, nope, that's not how I want to do it. Especially these new like digital generation kids. They struggle, I feel like, with like real life quote unquote sessions, but they have a different style. And I think we need to respect that and see where that kind of like takes them it's a really fun idea of that reflecting on a uap scale <laughs> the radical youth of started two or three years after me darn them <laughs> that is so true and i i can definitely relate to many examples of that where kind of like come in and being like oh yeah actually we need to change things we need to be doing things this way and kind of really happy of trying to solidify or implement something in that kind of becomes the status quo and then when other people come in to change it i'm looking i'm like yeah but like maybe you're missing some of the reasons of why i wanted things to be this way because it's really cool this way and then now looking at this as another that that's the old guard trying to maintain (laughs) (laughs) what they put in but that's true is it and it's in those non-stop cycles and something i was mentioning to joe in that in the previous episode is that EYP really has this uniqueness compared to most other NGOs where our change cycles are just ridiculously fast. Most NGOs, if they're like youth NGOs, their change cycles tend to be yearly. So like one year in, one year out, and then you cycle around this way. Other NGOs, so I'm starting to work with like Zero Generation and a few others, they have people in in charge of certain elements that have been doing that for the past six seven years and they're still focusing on the same thing for six seven years so they make sure the change management year after year happens in a nice orderly manner there is knowledge transfer there is all of this and then they can make just incremental improvements but they have the rationale of why things are the way they are each time we go from session to session (laughs) and in every session you go to it's new everyone gets to change everything and you get to redecide and do whatever you want and then in the session after that it is different again and yes we have ncs and stuff but i feel and if if you would look at the percentage of what is eyp in in terms of our effort and that i feel like our sessions definitely represent the majority of our organization and if sessions do represent the majority of our organization and the longest ones last two weeks and when you're in a position in one session you go to the next session it doesn't mean you're in the same position then that's a tiny 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 cycle of turnover in which these new revolutions can happen on a (laughs) weekly basis and it's really big part of it is also that we never really learned how to emphasize the why like we do sessions we do things differently we try new things and people experience that, like the delegates or the officials team see what you're doing as the leader of that session and they get ideas from it, but they never really talk to you on why you did it that way. That goes for every single part of the organization, not from just like different aspects of the session, different activities, but from just like trainings. Like, why do you hold your modules in a specific way? Like you hold it, someone sees it, they don't understand why you're saying the things that you do. 
and just like team building, like you're delicate, you see your chairperson play a specific game, they don't understand why you play that game in that position with your team at that time in that specific way. And But they're going to take it and they're going to try to do it themselves. And it takes a really long time for us to develop this deep understanding of this is why I do it this way. And that's, that's really the thing that I think we should emphasize more, transmitting a knowledge framework rather than knowledge itself. Because knowledge itself, as like we mentioned before being super context dependent might like always change but if you implement like a certain way of thinking that might have you know certain goalposts you can always adapt that and you can always bring that from one session to the next with you you can adapt that to include more people or you know depending on what scale you want to implement this at so it's not necessarily, you know, how you did, how you organized that coffee break at that specific time. And then every coffee break should be organized like that because that was really successful. But kind of like what elements of the coffee break were successful and why? And then take that onto the next session. Okay, so is it is it taking the learnings from or uh, from, let's say, looking at the success or failure of different coffee breaks? Or is it taking the methodology that you're using to be able to understand what you did in that coffee break when you're talking about these knowledge frameworks? All right. So let's... Is it the approach you're using or is it the learnings? I'm going to try to think of it like to not overthink it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's. I think it's a bit of both. It's kind of seeing what elements stick and why and trying to go from there kind of like upwards to make your own theory of what makes a successful coffee break but that is open enough that you can change it and you can recognize that different coffee breaks can go different ways you shouldn't put the same mold over all coffee breaks but let it kind of like develop accordingly okay yeah that makes sense yeah i feel like this is creating unrealistic expectations for how hard you should think about coffee breaks <laughs> hey they're important can you tell i've never been an organizer <laughs> <laughs> but when I think about like these kind of conversations, it brings me into something in in, in learning theory. So I'm uh, I'm I'm a trainer, um, and I I love anything to do with training and learning and stuff like that. So I always ramble on or like almost every every show about something training related. And so here's my spot to ramble ramble on about something related to this. And it would very much be like the the Kolb cycle in experiential learning. So the idea is um is underpinned with like constructivism so the world doesn't exist knowledge doesn't exist nothing is actually there yep. we each of us construct it and so the world is completely subjective to the way that we've built it in our minds and if that's the case then the success behind organizing a coffee break or the success behind running a, ch uh, a, uh, a committee or creating your media team or building a core team within your auger team or anything like this isn't something that can ever be passed over to you. It's not knowledge that exists and here's a methodology, here you do this. It has to be you who personally constructs. And if you take that as the basis and you say, this is how knowledge actually works, this is how learning happens, is that we have to construct it, then there are there is... Kolb, who suggested the specific cycle on how this actually looks like, which is you experience something. And after you experience that, you then move on to the stage of reflecting on this experience. So I experience something, I reflect on it, and then I then start to move into comparing this model of, of what happened here against my previous knowledge, my previous experiences, my previous theories. And I try to realign them. And sometimes it fits within it. Sometimes it doesn't fit within it. And if it doesn't fit within it, it creates something new. And then I've now cemented something new 
uh, a new piece of knowledge or a new piece of learning or a new way of looking at the world. And then I start to go into the world with this. And then I experience something else. And this is why I feel we do really, really well in EYP, which is debriefing. We debrief the fuck out of everything. Like you eat a banana. We're going to debrief that, that. Like whatever you do in EYP, we are going to be debriefing, debriefing, debriefing. And I feel that is something that we do really well in EYP. And I think that's one of the key successes behind ability to learn so much and grow so much and develop so much because EYP opens us up to so many different unimaginable like so, so many different experiences that we wouldn't have been able to imagine that you could do in the normal world uh, through the normal progress. And then after you go through those experiences, you're always given an opportunity to debrief on that. Whether it's, let's say, as a chairperson, you go to a buddy group, whether it's as a leadership team, you go to a leadership meeting to then be able to vent and discuss and think about what happened people to then give you some guidance some advice and for you to go back into the world and to try again with that new knowledge yeah it's like a laboratory of experiences kind of you have a very contained yeah. context to experiment and then you can either replicate your experiment or try to put it into the real world to make your science meaningful yeah yeah no unfortunately what's happening here in dublin which i guess I can always try to extrapolate to make this into a lesson about who gets to go to IP or not. So a lot of the rich tech companies here have developed the Docklands area, which used to be like a very working class area that was actually repainting the scene, I think the 1830s. So now after, you know, Google, Facebook, all these big companies built like high rises and all these glass buildings for their employees, it created massive disparities between these like super high income earners who made upwards of like a hundred thousand euros a year and the local community that makes maybe twenty three thousand euros a year. So you have like these massive disparities about who gets to make decisions in a place, who gets to represent what Dublin means on like a national and international scale. And it's the it's very similar with EYP in Eastern Europe, at least, where a lot of the people, and I'll acknowledge I'm definitely part of this phenomenon, are very privileged. They come from, you know, some of the best schools in the country. They have like an English language education. They have the money to travel, which is very, very different to most other people in that country. It might even make us form like a wrong idea, kind of, because we see their elites. We see, you know, the girls with their Louis Vuitton backpacks at the session, but we don't see the people going to the market with like their raffia bags. Yeah, that is very true. And then we, we as, as humans, we, we have this beautiful, well, not very beautiful habit of always allocating success to ourselves and saying like, that that wasn't luck. I earned it. I, I got to this school, not because... Let's say if I got to this school and this other person didn't get there, it's partly because I worked really hard for it and I I deserve it in one way or another. So we we all let's say for the, for those people who who did lots of really good things in UIP and were pretty successful in whichever way you want to measure that, we kind of always look back at it and say, oh no, this is because of my hard work and my dedication. So if any other person, no matter what background you're from, no matter what, if you also worked really hard and kind of did this, you would also be able to make it here. But then, yeah, what we ended up, what we end up doing is creating this very closed community where only a certain type of person will actually find it kind of relatively easy 
to come in to join us to become a part of this community and then it very much closes ourselves off to like 90 plus percent of europe yeah that's why i really struggle to believe in outreach sessions in a way i know that they really have the best intentions at heart but it kind of just goes to solidify like this big wall to the people who will go to this first session but will probably not continue on or they'll be exposed to these like ideas and values that are expected of them, but they haven't really had, um, you know, the worldly exposure to get the, to that conclusion themselves before coming to the session. They might see all the officials team from all over Europe traveling to their country and they're going to be like, how the hell do all these kids afford to do that? I can't do that. I, if I am to stay yeah. in this organization, I would be expected to do that. And I can't do that to, you know, my family's budget. That's true. And then let's say people who, even people who, who don't necessarily come from wealth, who don't come from a place of privilege, even people in those situations who then manage to go into EYP and attend a ton of sessions and join all different positions and fulfill everything that they wanted to do there in EYP, it does become very easy even for them to kind of look back and say well if I did it then anyone else can and like an example that I have like within politics would be let's say in the UK with Margaret Thatcher as one of the examples of you know she was a the daughter of a butcher so it doesn't have the you know and then she butchered uh, the UK herself <laughs> literally um, in this idea of saying, you know, oh, uh, I made it, I came from poverty, I etc. So if I can do this, then you can. And it's being completely blind to what other elements of luck that you had, or what other elements of unfortunate things that didn't happen to you along the way that constantly happens to almost everyone else around you. And closing your eyes to that and saying, no, it's all about hard work, it's all about effort. And so if I can do it, then I'm a great example to show that everyone else can do it. And But the thing is, if we, we then as humans kind of say, well, actually, no, that's not the case, then it's almost saying wherever position you got to, you don't deserve that. That's complete luck. And that kind of has a lot of ramifications on the way we want to see anything else we do <laughs> in the world or whether, you know, you should just give everything you have away or, you know, there's like... A, a huge uh, change in your worldview that maybe feels pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's really tough to come to terms with these super existential things, with these like big ways of thinking about the world. But you know, sometimes luck can form certain experiences that then that then inform how you deal with situations. So even though it started from luck, you did it formed you in a certain way, more or less intentionally. That then created other situations so there's a degree of agency that we do have and i think it can be fun to kind of like negotiate the the helplessness versus agency in these situations and if, if anyone's really interested in this topic um a video i'd really recommend is on youtube it's only a 12 minute video it's by uh, veritasium and it's called the uh the success paradox yeah the success paradox is success luck or hard work and it really kind of goes into this uh success bias yeah dives in really in a really really cool way and kind of comes out with two main conclusions that you kind of have to have side by side and are contradictory in the way that you live is on the one that he says yeah two two different statements that really don't go together but you need to live with both of them and uh, one of them is believe that you are responsible for everything you've achieved and that you've earned it and you deserve it but on the other at the same time 
understand that that is completely wrong and it was all due to luck. But then he kind of goes through this amazing video that explains why holding these two views at the same time is a great way to go through and is pretty rational. And you're just like, it's a, it's just a, a complete paradox, but it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Damn, I should, I'm going to put that on my watch list. <laughs> and when it comes to this kind of being able to travel and attend sessions, I think Europe in this way, we have a lot of really nice like, uh, travel conditions. Like if you live somewhere in Central Europe, you do have ways to get around, even if you don't have the funds for it. We don't do it in UAP as much, but we there were some some stories of people like hitchhiking the sessions and just doing like a z absolutely zero budget event for themselves. And I think that would be something really cool if we could try to push this kind of culture more of how do we then enable or like make it okay in our organization to attend DYP in this way? Because I think if this was, if people started doing this right now, a lot of people would look at them weirdly, which is unfortunate, but this society we live in. Okay, Joker. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, just the society comments. <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm just, I've been on the internet too much. I need to go touch grass. <laughs> Even with that, if if I take if I take a specific ex example, I can kind of align what Joel just said with the discussion that we were having with Sabina. Then, which is if I think about myself in UIP in like twenty twenty fifteen, um, I did yeah fourteen sessions in twelve months, but I was towards the beginning of that I was completely broke and I did not have the money to do that whatsoever. Uh, my parents didn't have any money to give me for anything like that. I was living just on government grants and government loans to try to live in London to go to university and I couldn't even really afford a place so I'd sleep on friends floors friends sofas and stuff like this and then at one point I finally managed to like actually have a place so like to share a room with a friend of mine and what I would do is I would rent my bed in the shared room on Airbnb as I'd be traveling throughout Europe and then in between sessions like crash at different people's places to then jump to the next one and things like this so on the one hand I could kind of look at that and be like yo you know what I had the determination and I put the mind effort into it and even if I didn't have the resources I could still pull all this off and so that means everyone can but no on the other hand I had a roommate who was okay of being an Airbnb host <laughs> and literally living with random people in order for me to be able to travel around so <laughs> that's a huge piece of luck coming through there and then let's say being a guy I let's say that at one point of that I, I had a like a homeless night in Milan where I just had to sleep on the streets because I messed up as a guy that was a lot easier to do than as a girl also being English native then it's a lot easier wherever I go to try to get by and to speak a potential common language with many other people uh, that also helped me a lot in UIP which made it easier for me to then have places to stay I'm also very very extroverted and that is a lot due to certain parts of my upbringing etc where i grew up in a pub in a bar so i would always have to meet people always like get to know people new all the time all the time all the time so for me i have that that i'm not responsible for that is a trait that allows me to get to know people really quickly and stuff and so because of that then i had lots of spaces to crash on people's floors and to live with people all across europe to make that happen 
So you know, on that one example, I can look at it through both of those aspects where on the one hand, I could be like, oh no, you know, this is, this is just me. And uh, this is a perfect example where anyone can just go around Europe hitchhiking and just go and live zero budget. Uh, money isn't an issue with this. So we should stop this conversation about the privilege part in EYP because everyone can do that. But on the other hand, it's like, no, your privilege was just in different <laughs> aspects that's slightly more nuanced. And especially because you mentioned, you know, crashing with UIPers, I feel like that is such an immense like leg up that has helped us see Europe and to understand it like firsthand. When you, whenever you go, I don't know, on vacation and you rent like an Airbnb, you don't experience the place properly as you would sitting down with a family from there who will, you know, you'll see the way that they eat, the way that they interact, you'll hear them usually speaking in their own language. And these people are not only extending you the kindness of letting you into their house for a certain number of nights for absolutely nothing in exchange, but they're giving you like the invaluable gift of in inviting you to their meal, one of the most like intimate acts of like connection between people. And even if they're not doing it actively, they're sharing their, their culture, they're sharing their limited resources with you, sending a certain message about, you know, what your place is in that country. You know, they're making you feel more invited. They're making you feel more supported, which as, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds traveling through Europe by ourselves is an invaluable thing for ourselves and for our families to know that we're going to be safe with these random, I don't know, like Polish or Portuguese people or whatever that we're staying with. Yeah, there's a lot. There's just so many aspects of this kind of what enables you to do things that it's really difficult to try and in, in any way try to tackle them all well i guess where i was more coming from was more of a what can we as an organization do as a in a concrete way i was like sure we can just like there's not much we can do to enable i'm not gonna say that that that's a bad thing to do no, uh <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Where do I go with this then? That's all right. You don't have to. You can go somewhere else with it. Exactly. Like EYP couch surfing. I think is a perfect example yeah. of what you're talking about there is how can you do something on an organizational level that actually helps so many more people access stuff like this. So let's say uh, where some people have already in EYP a wider network of people and can just contact others to ask if you can crash there. For people who are new and joining the organization, for them to also have that same kind of benefit, then we actually create an organizational structure in which people can post something and say, I'm staying here. And then they're able to be hosted and with that so yeah like that's a perfect example and there must be other elements to it as well where we can have certain structures or better things like that so other people can have access to what the few in EYP do I mean there's also the classic couch surfing but that can always go like either way god I was couch surfing in near like Florence with a friend and we're staying with this Hungarian lady who was basically like our mother's age and it was like like a studio kind of thing but like a studio loft so we were upstairs and she was downstairs and i know it was very hot it was somewhere in italy but she was naked most of the time why was why was this middle-aged hungarian lady naked uh. <laughs> to each to them but i guess do give your culture first a heads up if you're doing this yeah and she really could have kept that to herself. I was actually once staying with a nudist in Paris, France. Uh, but he actually let me know beforehand. Before, <laughs> like, when he offered me a place to stay, I was like, 
this is this is by the way how I live. If you if you're okay with that, and I can invite you to kind of try out my way of living and do that. But if you're if you're not okay with it, just don't come. It's like sure, I'll go and see what it feels like to be a nudist at a random French guy's place. <laughs> but then being Joel, being a naked a, a naked Viking, I mean, I guess you kind of took to that like a fish in water. Yeah, I mean, it's not <laughs> like I don't already spent half of my time naked in the sauna with strangers, so. That was, it wasn't that new to me. But yeah, it, it would be interesting to kind of try, try and think a bit more outside of the box. So like, sure, we have this travel grant some, some, in some places. We have EYP culture thing that can really, really enable people. But like, what else can we do to kind of level the field people doing our sessions? Another really random, what the kind of couch surfing story is. I, I, was, I was trying to do a bit of couch surfing. I only successfully managed to do it once on the actual couch surfing stuff, not the EYP stuff. But one of them that I was trying really hard to, it was in uh, Venice in in Italy. And I was looking at different places. And I say eight out of 10 places was like women only. And it was like old creepy guys. It's like, yeah. yeah on the one hand, it's like, you can't really say that I'm, I'm not privileged because I'm <laughs> in that sense. Because it's like, well, yes, I say no to me. But then again, if this was a woman who wanted to stay there, it would probably not be the best place to stay anyway and then the one place i found that would actually accept me i was like oh, okay cool let's let's send an uh i'm gonna send a message to this person say i want to stay okay this is awesome they reply back saying do make sure you check the you know the definition and stuff again like the the, the, the description of the place and i was like okay it's a fight club <laughs> so people who stay there <laughs> have to fight each other and it was actually an italian fight club between couch surfers and you get to stay there if you're prepared to fight <laughs> i'm pretty i was like yeah maybe not so I pretty sure that place. goes against the culture thing rules yeah no this this paints a really bad image of culture <laughs> thing the actual application i've had absolutely lovely experiences with the actual culture thing <laughs> application and website i've made some very good friends through there that i've visited since i've hosted them and vice versa it's an absolute you can have absolutely wonderful things there but <laughs> do read the descriptions <laughs> Yeah. And what a privilege that we don't have to go through that in EYP. Most people are perfectly nice. There's no fight clubs as far as I'm aware. As far as you're aware. Until now someone gets inspired. <laughs> and we shall be blamed. But I feel like because it's UIP, it would be more of like a debriefing club. <laughs> that would literally be the UIP thing. To be like, okay, you can stay, but every day between 8 to 9 p.m. we sit down and we debrief. <laughs> That sounds great. <laughs> if you're not into debriefing, I'm sorry, you, you can't stay. Then your your stay will be very debrief. Oh. <laughs> I think I peaked. I think that's it, guys. <laughs> Cut the recording. We're done. Definitely. No, no, one, no one can actually follow when you, when you come out with a pun as fine as that i feel like maybe you even plotted our whole conversation <laughs> to try to be like oh can i get here can i get there no, okay not yet okay i bide my time bide my time and you know you bought your time you spent an hour until you finally got us there so congratulations thank you <laughs> it's like you know when, when when a chairperson is trying to do some really really open facilitation but really wants to get their committee to a certain place it's like no 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 you decide you decide okay um Matthew, do you want to think a bit more about that specific answer? Yeah. Okay, let's just question this bit. Oh, you came up with this answer. Uh, would you like me to write that or would you <laughs> like to write that? Okay, okay, cool, cool. cool. Uh, would you like to think about that word you wrote there? Maybe find a synonym. Okay, you want this one? Yes, that's what I wrote down. Perfect. 
checked off the list <laughs> <laughs> like I, I saw a, i saw a meme with that the other day and it was like this kind of like a, a teacher in front of two rooms saying you know what you decide which room and then both rooms kind of end up with corridors that go to the same place anyway but you know you're empowering the others with choice and sometimes that's all it takes like i'm a very very stubborn person so i really need to feel like my kind of like ideas and visions are taking into account even if they lead to the same you know classroom in the end if you grant me the respect of bringing me in on the decision making process then I will respect the destination. Although I was in a training last week uh, at work and uh, a couple of the trainers had like two very different facilitation styles. Like one of them was really energetic, really driven. and was like, we're going this direction. I'm bringing everyone this direction. But would always want to hear different people's opinions and bring them into his direction, into his direction, kind of take us this way. And it's like, sometimes you could say something and it's like, cool, I'm just going to paraphrase that in a way that it does sound like a little bit more of where we're going. <laughs> and we're going to move this way, move this way. But then we had another trainer and her facilitation style was very different where she would start with something and then really open up for everyone to really be able to express wherever they want to go and be like that's cool yeah even if we have all different opinions it's amazing that everyone has these different spaces and then just lead us to the next step and then be kind of really open with this and uh, i found a very similar thing in uip where you do have people on the spectrum of how how open we are to actually allow the team to have autonomy or to decide certain things or some people who let's say prefer to manipulate them into thinking that they have autonomy but you actually drive them to where you want to go than other people who are just straight up and be like we're going this direction <laughs> i mean the session has if you're facilitating a team the session always has expectations from you like the board will always think a certain outcome is worse than another one and if you give it completely to the <laughs> committee to lead itself and you don't have kind of a direction where you want it to go and you're trying to take it, then you might just be viewed unfavorably by the board that doesn't really know how to deal with that because they don't think it's a good outcome that you've produced. I mean, I think in a lot of these situations, the facilitators themselves struggle with being honest with themselves about what they want to achieve. A lot of chairpersons when they're still trying to figure out their craft so to speak are not sure they might end up in that um like direction of like manipulating their delegates or like manipulating their team even though they didn't necessarily intend that but because they haven't come to terms with what they want to achieve and how they're trying to like figure themselves out while pulling like all of these people together like along the way and that creates like a more i guess like a, a more disjointed approach because there's no clear vision behind it but once you reach kind of like that point of enlightenment as like a team facilitator, where you will admit to yourself, maybe in general, maybe for a specific project, whether you want to, you know, fully like strictly regulate all the steps of the process, or you'll come to terms with the like expectations that you have if you let them run wild, then it makes everything so much easier. It reduces so much of your stress when you've had that conversation with yourself. As long I mean, of as course, you come up with a resolution, though. Of course, it's always hard because there's moving parts. Like, you convince yourself of these things, you come to terms with these ideas by yourself, and then you're confronted with the reality of people who might be more or less cooperative, might have more or less knowledge about these things, might have experiences that you know lead them to act a certain way and then you also have to manage that and you have to be flexible enough to readjust your own expectations and your own goals in order to work together with these people because ultimately it's not about you 
you know, pulling them after yourself. It's about creating a shared experience. And that, that clash of expectations there as well, that there can, there can be the almost like comical things that come out of that of let's say you go in with that very clear expectation of you know what i want them to drive everything i want them to lead everything i am going to be that open facilitator i am here for them to help guide them in what they want to do let's let's really go into this and then they walk in with that expectation of cool this person knows what they're doing they're going to tell us what to do i'm just here for the ride <laughs> and then you come in with that clash and well if, if you take yourself really seriously in that case well what you should do is if they want you to be the one constantly guiding them and you walk in to say you want them to be able to choose then if they choose for you to guide them then would that mean you would have to guide them and if you say no i want you to choose then you are actually guiding them but not on what they want. <laughs> a nice little thought experiment. <laughs> I think here, like boundaries and like styles of management matter a lot. Because as long as you communicate, you know, I have a hard stance on this thing. So for instance, I want the resolution to be done by this time or to contain these topics or to go about it a certain way. But I'm very flexible on, you know, how you manage your time, The whether you want to work in bigger or smaller teams, whether you want to work as like a big group, how if you want to do more research, that's all up to you. And like, it's up to you to assess your needs and figure it out from there. I think I'm, I do believe in like a radical honesty in that sense, because oftentimes if you don't communicate your expectations, but then try to control what's happening, you end up at this weird intersection of like neglect and micromanaging that will just leave everyone frustrated. So, you know, even with my last board in summer, I just, I really said, okay, I want to cover this and this, or I want to have like this element. Everything else you're fully free to take control of. Just run it by me if you want to. That'd be really appreciated. But these are the things that I want to do. Everything else you're free to do. I like that. Yeah. As opposed to kind of seeing it as one style or another, it's more on the different aspects and negotiating those aspects to different styles. I like that. Thank you. It took me a while to get here. And oh boy, is it frustrating when I see like real life adults who can't handle that. They haven't gotten to that point and it's really hard to work under these people. I think that's kind of like led me to this point that I've worked with a lot of people who are at the intersection of like not communicating their expectations, but also micromanaging the result to such a frustrating and like counterproductive level that I was like, okay, I cannot do this to like other people and then of course I've slipped up I haven't been like perfect in figuring out figuring out these things for myself but I think learning comes from you know when you fuck up much more than when you're successful are you, are you like okay with the stuff that we've discussed like I'm not sure what kind of like you're I don't know like happy with for here I know a lot of people have had very different conversations and I tried to get it a bit more away from myself and try to look at the bigger picture which is a bit different to a lot of this stuff but one thing that i actually really enjoy with this podcast is every episode is very different uh very different in the approach and i feel like me and joel just kind of go for the ride and like it could be with one person we may just dive into stories about certain things and it's like okay cool we're going here another person they suddenly have a, a strong 
thing that's on their mind they want to discuss and we're like cool let's really go into that intellectual discussion another one just maybe shitting on everything and then we're like cool let's go and shit on everything that's me and it's, it's really nice <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 as soon as joe hears oh they're shitting on someone cool let me join in. <laughs> it's like hey, which nc are we going to take down today <laughs> um and that, that that's really cool and like yeah f- f- for me, like personally, this one here, I also really, really, really enjoyed, uh, particularly the, the type of discussion and the way thinking about these cultural elements with EYP. And it's not just about EYP, EYP sessions, but more about us as humans and what we actually taking away from this and how we approach the world because of this kind of stuff. On a personal level, I really enjoyed these kind of conversations. So yeah, really enjoyed that. What about yourself? I mean, it's super enjoyable. Lord knows I'd love the sound of my own voice, but... <laughs> No, for me, it's a really fun experience. I've been working in the media for the last like year and a half. So I'm usually like on the interviewing end. So it's really nice to get to also like give my two cents on things. I mean, I'm a massive podcast listener. Like I, I listen to podcasts like almost every waking moment. <laughs> so I feel like I'm... I don't know. Like, I'm happy with Tales from Sessions as, like, a podcast. Oh my god, I'm gonna be so important. Like, I'm literally on a podcast. Like, oh, super hard for people to, like, imagine this right now. From the 27th of May, anyone in the world can go to the internet and listen to you talk.